This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Madonna, where's the party? You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Kate Bruin from the Cancer Council of Victoria joins us about their public cervix awareness campaign. We also speak with Najib and Grace from behind the counter at Melbourne's Due West Festival. And later, Margot Fink from Transgender Victoria joins us about Trans Awareness Week. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Well, it's National Cervical Cancer Awareness Week here in Australia, and earlier today I spoke with Kate Brune from the Cancer Council Victoria about their public cervix announcement campaign. Well, this is a new campaign that we've partnered with Thorn Harbour Health with, and we're really excited to join forces with us at Cancer Council. And this campaign is all about increasing cervical screening rates and awareness with the LGBTI community here in Victoria. So as you said, it's called the Public Cervix Announcement, and we're really wanting people to know that if they are aged between 25 and 74 and have a cervix, they need regular cervical screening tests, irrespective of sexual or gender identity. And with our new cervical screening program that's been available in Australia for the last two years. It's a new test um, and and once people are in the program with this new test it's every five years so there's some really good news to be had around cervical screening as well. What are some of the barriers that prevent people from the LGBTIQ community with cervixes having pap smears? Yeah, look, we do. Um, we actually commissioned some research by the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society back in 2016. And that did show us that one in five LGBTIQ people with a cervix had never had a pap test. And that's what really spurred this, this new campaign on. And with that research, we found that there were two key reasons why people didn't undergo cervical screening. The first one was because they were embarrassed or frightened. And the second was that they thought that they didn't need to. So there was a real need for us to address some of those those knowledge and awareness barriers. But saying that, there's a real need also to work with healthcare providers so and to ensure that people feel comfortable and safe with the provider that they choose for their cervical screening test. Of course, it is Trans Awareness Week. What are some of the particular barriers for the trans community and gender-diverse community in having pap smears? Well, with the trans community, um, we actually have new data this that just got released recently, actually, from the Trans Health and Cancer Care Study, and that showed us that only 18.7% of trans and gender-diverse Australians reported being regular screeners, and in fact, 54% had never had a cervical screening test. They did respond through that survey that, that one of the key reasons was that it was emotionally traumatic for them and that they were not comfortable with their healthcare provider um, and potentially fearful of any discrimination that they may experience. So it really does also reinforce that need for safe and inclusive healthcare providers and, and really asking friends and family for, for recommendations on providers that, that they would feel comfortable with. It's really important. The project, of course, is a collaboration with Thorn Harbour Health. I imagine their assistance is huge in working with service providers. Absolutely. I mean, 
mean, they've been really key to this project and been, it's been a terrific partnership with them. We went to them with this research and saying, we really want to work with you guys. And they have really led us through this project. They were involved right from the very beginning with developing what the key messages should be, um, working with their community and their members to, to really form that piece of work and to come up with what the campaign creative should look like and, and how we should how we should put the campaign out to the community as well and also really helpful even just right down to um, helping us with the discussion that's happening online. We've had really great engagement online with the community and Thorn Harbour have been terrific at really helping us be responsive and also m- making sure that we also create a safe and inclusive space as well. Tell us what the community's been saying online. Look, there's been lots of discussion, particularly around... Um, you know, I think with this campaign, including trans men, I think for some people it has been surprising for them. And it really is a first for us here um, with our work around cervical screening at Cancer Council to include trans men. And, and really, people have been wondering why and, and, and why are we using terminology such as people with a cervix? And, and we have different creative for different target markets as well. So making sure that we're also being inclusive and not alienating different segments of the LGBTIQ community as well. So um, it's definitely been a point of discussion, that's for sure. What have trans men been saying about what their needs are in relation to pap smears? really comes back to that piece of research that we had that had around... um, finding a provider that they feel comfortable with, you know, really, um, and ensuring that they don't feel discriminated against as well. So that really is a key point. Even though we could do our very best to ensure that they have the accurate knowledge and information around the need to have cervical screening, if they haven't got a provider that they feel safe or comfortable with, then it makes it very difficult, in fact, impossible for them to, to participate in cervical screening. So... Working with healthcare providers is such a key part of of this strategy Um, and like you mentioned earlier, Thorn Harbour have been terrific at helping us reach out to healthcare providers, um, sending them information around how to provide safe and inclusive services for, for trans people. Have you been surprised at the levels of perhaps ignorance amongst some service providers? Surprised? Um, Look, no, I think it's a new, you know, I think perhaps sometimes... um, People haven't considered the full the full range of needs that are required with the LGBTI community, and particularly for trans for trans men as well. So I don't know that I'm surprised, but I think it's I really do hope that we have opened their eyes and increased their awareness to the needs of trans men, particularly around cervical screening, and therefore that need for that safe and inclusive service that's required. Tell us how you worked with the community on focus testing the campaign. I imagine that occurred. It did, and look, I, I have to admit that detail, Thorn Harbour are far more across than when I am, definitely, but there was definitely involvement with community around what should these key messages be, because it is a campaign that is that is inclusive of, of not just trans men, but, f- but for the wider LGBTI community as well. So, so I'm really making sure that we're not alienated, alienating segments of the community, and working with the community was obviously key to ensure that we got our messages right, um, and Thorn Harbour were terrific at, at really leading that element of the project. Absolutely. Tell us about some of the issues raised by bisexual and lesbian women. Look, with with that segment of the LGBTI community, it really was, again, it, it's that combination of a lack of awareness that I need cervical screening. Potentially they've spoken to their healthcare provider and, and being told that, no, you don't need cervical screening, that cervical screening is only for women who have had sex with men, for example. That's um, a myth that we do hear repeated. And so it really comes down to perhaps a bit of misinformation that they've been given to by either healthcare providers or friends or family. But really, regardless of sexual or gender identity, if you have a cervix um, and you're age 25 to 74, cervical screening is very important for you. 
you're doing lots of collaborations with Thorn Harbour at the Cancer Council Victoria. What's what's up next? What project's next? Look, we do. It's been, um, we, we, you know, I have to admit, over the last couple of years, we've had a terrific relationship with Thorn Harbour um, and they've been particularly critically important with our work around tobacco and quit smoking as well. So we've been really exciting, excited with our cancer screening team to be working with Thorn Harbour, but as have our quit team as well. So there's been some great initiatives that we've done together and, and really look forward to seeing what perhaps 2020 brings with future partnerships too. If you had a, you know, pot of money, pot of funding uh, for the LGBTIQ community and cancer prevention awareness, where would you focus it? tricky one isn't it I mean my passion is around cancer screening and, and also HPV immunization and also around viral hepatitis so they're my passion areas of passion ensuring that that really all segments and, and this is really a, a key driver for cancer council we need to ensure that all of our programs our prevention programs are equally accessible and available to all Victorians so like I said regardless of gender or sexual identity. So ensuring that we have equal access and therefore the health outcomes are equal. There's no inequity with what we're seeing. Um, And that's really important to ensure that we're not, you know, that we're developing programs and services that don't create any gaps and that we're not seeing those inequities when you look at the cancer as an outcome. So it's really important for us to be to be investing in this in this community and to be obviously forming these partnerships that are really needed to, to be successful as well. Kate Bruin, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. Much appreciated. Thanks, James. My pleasure. Andrew in your face on 3CR with James. I'm joined by Najib and Grace from Behind the Counter at the Due West Festival, which is happening in Footscray. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. Where do we start with Behind the Counter? Who wants to go first? Tell us all about it. I'm happy to go first. So I guess it's been a project we've been working on for the past six months or so. It's run by Flag Incorporated or Flag Inc. And uh, yeah, for the Due West, Due West Festival, which is opening tonight. And it's a community, like a public art kind of project and it's uh, in collaboration sorry, with some other community members so it's kind of an intergenerational project uh, where we're working with so we're like some young people Footscray interacting with some business owners and kind of storytelling and yeah crossing I guess generational gaps and cultural gaps through yeah telling telling stories and telling kind of uh, stranger stories. So Najib can you tell us about some of these characters some of these uh, shop owners <laughs> that you're working with? So we're working with both new and old shop owners. It's been really, really interesting to work with them. Tell, talk about Halima. I think that's a really interesting story about how you... Oh, yeah. Um, so in interviewing um, one of the shopkeepers, Halima, it's been really, really interesting talking to her because a lot was discovered during me talking to her that we have a shared past uh, that I did not know of. Such uh, as? <laughs> The shared past was uh, she knows my mum, which I I already knew of, but um, she knew me and she knew my family um, before we came to Australia um, in the refugee camp 
uh, back in Somalia when the civil war was happening. So uh, we have like, a, I guess, like uh, a migration story that interconnects a little mm-hmm. bit. So that was really, really interesting to learn that. Yeah. So it sounds like migration is a big part of Behind the Counter because you're exploring the very multicultural aspects of Footscray. Mm. We sure are, yeah. Totally, yeah. I think, and well, yeah, as you said, like the multicultural aspects of Footscray, that's such a important part of Footscray, you know, and in in exploring kind of personal, personal lives and personal histories, I guess, because we're talking to a lot of people who are um, – so this project is kind of it's called the Alfred Solomons project. So it's part of behind the counter as part of this wider umbrella project, and that's all about kind of yeah this intergenerational thing as I was saying before. So and it's connecting kind of like the new guard with the old guard, and so this old guard is a lot of people that have come migrated from all different places around the world and you know settled in Footscray. So yeah, definitely. Definitely migration. So it's a real trajectory, a real description of migration to Footscray over the, over the decades, really. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we've got like we've got some people from you know like Franco Cozzo and Tony Cavallero from Cavallero and Sons. They mm. came like we've talked to them and they came over, or their their parents. So Franco himself migrated to Australia, but then Tony grew up in Australia, but in you know post post war from Sicily, both of them, and then right through to um, yeah Halima and Ahmed and Mohammed mm. who. I don't know how long ago they came, but a lot more recently, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a span and just kind of like the range of different times when people came. And Yeah. yeah. Um, you also worked with some other shops as well, Grace, which you... I'll let you mention. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, Michael, yeah, so I'm Frank Cozzo and then Tony Cavallero and then we've got Michael Quash from Anfat Herbs and Acupuncture. Uh, so he's a Chinese herbalist and he's run that business for about 30 years, I believe. His father also had that one. Um, and then also Lee Maloney who works out of – and actually it's like a social – um, like a social club. A social club, yeah. yeah. And it's called the Chinese Ethnic Happy Age Association of Victoria, um, which was a really beautiful one to discover, actually. Like, we kind of went in there and approached um, Lee and that, that space off chance just from looking at the windows and thinking that's like an interesting space and, like, what happens up there. And went up there and found tables of table tennis tables and mahjong tables and it's the happy age association so it's kind of the elderly chinese community go up there to play these games and um yeah it's a social space and then this woman lee does this voluntary casework and translating services out of the back of this tiny little office and yeah one day a week she's there and it's so like i think she's providing such a needed service her office is so busy whenever i've gone in there and it was actually yeah such a pleasure to talk to her and to hear her story of also migrating to Australia from Vietnam and and just her kind of life and yeah really interesting from just from just looking up at a window and noticing that like a space that I hadn't seen before you know and then all that kind of came from there and like this whole area that I didn't realize in this ping pong club that um, table tennis that if anyone wants to play table tennis it's going on in Footscray. <laughs> so Najib tell us a bit about your your immigration story that brought you to Footscray. I guess my story is, um, so my mom has a shop in Footscray as well. Um, she sells clothes as well. And I guess that was my, that's my link to Footscray is through my mom and through like through the Somali culture and also through the other Somali businesses around because all the women are quite near each other and they, um, it's really communal and everyone supports each other. Yeah. How did you get involved in Behind the Counter? Oh, it, it was a really great way of how I got involved. So I knew... Um, um, like Dan and Naomi from Flag previously from doing an, a similar, a different uh, theatre project that that was around like racism and discrimination and putting together uh, theatre pieces around that. And then they told me about 
uh, this project as well. And I, and I really wanted to do it because like I've, I've always grown up in Footscray. I've been around, walking around the whole time. And it, it, it allowed me the opportunity to talk to shop owners, interview them, hear their unique stories. And in that also like tap into my tap and further examine my own culture as well. Like one example is um, uh, Halima, when I interviewed her, it was it was a really great conversation because I interviewed her because English is not, she's not so um, great at speaking English. So um, I, I did that whole interview with her in Somali. And she's like, she is kind of like, she's like an auntie to me. And it, it was it was beautiful because... Yeah, it was just kind of like I was just talking to an elder of like for me and I was just kind of getting advice of like what advice would she give to like like herself um now that she's in the position that she is um yeah and it was just it was just really beautiful I really really enjoyed it. So for listeners listening around the country, how would you how would you describe Footscray? Can you give us kind of like some imagery of Footscray? Can you paint a picture of Footscray for those people who aren't familiar with it? I guess some imagery I can give you is community, hustle and bustle, uh, lots of fabrics. <laughs> a lot of different shops. There's lots of different shops selling yeah. everything from a lot of people's own cultures, you know, because there has been so, many, so much migration. So there's yeah. a lot of shops, um, yeah, African people selling their, like, yeah. clothes and art from various, from the countries they're from. Yeah, from the various... Um, and a lot of different food, a lot yeah. of Vietnamese food, a lot of... Yeah, Chinese, Chinese, Malaysian. Yeah. yeah, there's like there is something for everyone in Footscray. Mm. Yeah, and I think if I had to sum it up um, in just a few words, for me personally, I would say I would say a place where I see myself. Wow. Yeah, a, pl- a place where I feel like I'm being reflected. Yeah. So it's obviously got a very strong African community presence. Yeah. Which is great, which is something that's kind of evolved over the years. So you've got like, it's, it's, it's really like a, as I said before, a trajectory of, of immigration to Melbourne mm. all in one spot. So you've got mm. that diversity. Mm. Grace, tell us about the audience experience for Behind the Counter. Like what's the experience like for the audience? How's it all set up for them? Mm. So I guess there's a couple, because we're doing kind of two components to this project. There's the installations, um, which are in the shop front windows that we've kind of, we've just installed so they're fully in today and it will be up for the entire of the festival and then we're also doing these live performance tours next week um on the thursday and the friday nights and so i guess there's kind of a choice for audience members i guess for viewers just walking around and seeing the installations to me i feel like it's a bit of that kind of encouraging just noticing the the mundane or something, you know, just to actually be aware of your surroundings and to see what's going on. And we're rewarding that in a sense. Because some of some of the installations are really obvious and some of them are a lot, um, yeah, a little bit more hidden away. And, what do they look like? Well, maybe sculpture pieces, little miniatures. There's a, a little kind of um, lights, building yeah. <laughs> front, some lights, paper yeah. planes in a window. They've all got a plaque next to them. So you'll be able to like find a description and find a name for the yeah. um, thing. And then there's more information about each project that's found on the FLAG website, which is flaginc.space and then forward slash projects. And so you can go there to find more about each project or each installation. And then, so I guess that one's more like, you know, you can kind of create your own tour. You can find those installations as you'd like. And they there is a map um, on the Jewess website as well for that. But then there's also these live performance tours that we're doing, which will be a bit more of a like immersive experience Kind of guided, bit of theatre. A bit dramatic, yeah. Dramatic, yeah. There's going to be some other stories unfold in that. Um, So it'll be kind of another level of 
the I guess the stories that we've heard, the experiences that we've heard through our interviews will come out in that as well. So Najib, tell us about your role in the live performance tour. So I'm going to be doing a few performances. Such as? Um, I don't want to give too much away, James. But um, <laughs> I will give you a little, a, a little bit. Um, one of them I will be singing and it's uh, a song my mother used to sing to me growing up and it's gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna do it with like, like a video of my mom singing it and then I will be singing it right after. Mm. So it's a little bit competitive of like who sang it better. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly not me, but, um, that's one of them. And I guess the others are definitely, I want to give too much away, but definitely want people to be. I just want to get people intrigued and then they will find out more on the day. So will your mum be going along? I hope she can come along. Um, she does have a business, but I'll try, I'll try to get I'll try to get her onto these walking tours. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so Grace, what's the highlight for you of Behind the Counter? Well, I guess for me, so I've, I've kind of recently moved to Footscray myself. I grew up in regional Victoria and yeah, growing up in a small town, I guess, in a small community and then coming to Melbourne, uh, live somewhere else for a little bit. And then now I'm in Footscray and this project has really, really connected me into this new community. And just even, I remember one of the first days of living there or kind of early on in the project or maybe I'd just done the, in, the interviews and early, early days of living in Footscray and I was walking down the street with one of my housemates and um, this woman was walking past who we uh, was one of the shopkeepers partners, you know, that we talked to. And she was, she was just on the phone, but just did a casual, hi, Grace, how are you going? You know, I said hi to back to her and she, we kind of went on our way. But it was such a beautiful, like, moment that really made me feel like, yeah, like, recognised. I think it's hard. Like, sometimes in the city, you're kind of in the hustle and bustle. And, and Footscray does have a hustle and bustle feel about it. But yeah. it's definitely, like, a close community. And just, just that thing, personally, it's been amazing to to really get to know other people in the community that I wouldn't normally be speaking to, you know, it's, it's not, it's not other young people necessarily, necessarily. And it's maybe from shops or places that I wouldn't have gone into otherwise. Yeah. And to, to feel like this is my community now. Yeah. Do you feel like you're in another country sometimes you have to pinch yourself after moving from country Victoria and being somewhere really different in between? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's definitely different. I guess, I guess I feel like I mean, another country. I don't know. Australia's pretty big, so I feel like there's such a range of experiences. I think it's for me, it's more of a reminder of how big and how wide Australia can be, even if it is just 200 kilometres away, you know, from from, um, like a rural town to uh, the city and to a space, especially coming coming from a place where there was really quite little cultural diversity and then to a place where it's so full of it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. No, it's great. So Nasheed, what's next for you after Behind the Counter? Oh, that's such a great question. Thank you, James, for putting me on the spot like that. I guess for me, after um, this project is um, I've learned a lot through being um, with it with Grace, um, Dan Nomi and Mariah as well. And I think I really learned a lot about art and creating art, which I haven't tapped into before. So I guess that that's like the next step for me. Maybe potentially doing another project like this again because I, uh, I went into one of the shops the other day to install more of the fairy lights. <laughs> and yeah, I saw one of the um, shop owners and he was incredibly thrilled about like the art piece that was made um, because like, I didn't tell him prior to it. I just was going to let him figure it out when it was installed. Um, yeah, What's it look like, this art um, piece? So it's because his story was around him starting to be a pilot and he's also running a business as well. So the art piece is around all these paper planes that are like looping and flying all over his shop. 
because um, when talking to him, something that I really, really noticed from his story was um, he put uh, like a huge value on education. And yeah, and now he's doing that. And now he's like, he's going to be a pilot soon. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, when I saw him, he was happy with that. He hugged me and he was like, if you ever want to do this again, let me know. I'll be happy to be involved. So I guess the sky's the limit after this, I guess. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Give us the details for Behind the Counter and Due West, which is a fantastic festival in Footscray that, of course, it's part of. Yeah, so Jewess is opening tonight. There's the opening night at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, which I think starts at about six, yes. um, which we will both be performing at as well, along with um, the Indigenous, some Indigenous elders that are doing a song. That's kind of, there's a few other artists collaborating with them with that. Um, it's going to be a really great night. And there's kind of a packed program for the next 10 days about it so it goes this weekend next week and then the weekend following it's kind of it's a little bit sad we're doing so like doing the performances and everything we've got stuff to go on as well because there's so many other acts that i'd love to go see but i'm sure we'll be able to fit in something and so for us our uh, shopfront installations are up all for the whole next 10 days yes um and we also have the live tours which are on thursday and friday night the 21st and the 22nd they're at 6 and 8 p.m um, and if you go to Behind the Counter at Jew West Festival, um, I don't know, the Jew West Festival website, just look it up on Google, yeah, <laughs> you'll find it. Yeah, um, you can check it out. You can check more um, information out on the FLAG website as well. Mm, which is flaginc.space forward slash projects. Awesome stuff, Najib and Grace from Behind the Counter at Jew West. Thanks heaps for joining us down 3CR. It's been awesome. Thank you so much, so much for having us. Do you need me, baby? You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Please be advised the following interview includes discussion around transphobia that may be distressing to some listeners. It is Trans Awareness Week and on the line I have Margot Fink from Transgender Victoria. Margot, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on board. It must be a huge week for you. Tell us about the uh, focus of uh, Trans Awareness Week for Transgender Victoria. Yeah, so Trans Awareness Week is held from the 13th to 19th of November in the week leading up to Transgender Day of Remembrance. And it's all about helping raise visibility of our community and addressing the issues trans and gender diverse people face. Of course, it really has a strong focus on social media this year with lots of young people having input. Have you been surprised by how big it's got? I I think it's been really incredible seeing how the community has grown in visibility probably over the last half decade, the power of social media allowing people, especially young people in our community, to celebrate their identities on a scale that's never been seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a real expression, hasn't it, of, of, of all the issues that the trans community is putting on the agenda to educate the broader community and achieve rights as well. At Transgender Victoria, what's, what's your main focus as an organisation at the moment? So a key part of our work is improving outcomes for trans and gender diverse people and that includes things like running events, running support groups, raising awareness and delivering training and so through this week we're doing a lot of work 
around trying to make people aware of what the issues for our community are, to draw attention and encouraging them to look at ways to make their environments more inclusive for trans and gender diverse people. What are some of the main issues that you focused on? I mean, how long is a piece of string? I guess there's so many urgent priority areas I know, but what are some of the ones, the main ones that you focused on? So some of the key issues for transgender diverse people today are around legal inequalities, um, but we've seen reforms that have been really exciting in Victoria, such as birth certificate reform. Um, and that's been, you know, years in the making and a lot of advocates allowing transgender diverse people to now update their documentation to reflect who they are accurately. But it's things like that where transgender diverse people don't have the same basic rights and, and taken for granted Uh, in the way that our peers do. So making sure we're doing as much as we can to make our allies aware of that and make policymakers aware of that and deliver meaningful change. Yeah, the passage of the Births, Deaths and Marriages Amendment Act was a huge victory for the trans community. How did you feel when the legislation passed? It must have been so emotional. So we were all kind of there biting our nails. Um, I was checking at least three devices, social media and looking up and, and talking to everyone. Um, and when it finally passed, it was a huge sigh of relief and a moment of celebration in a really immense way. Um, the, the difference it makes to have documentation that allows you to apply for a job, to get a police check, to file for additional documentation and travel documents, it, it really is tremendous. And it's just an inequality that had persisted for no good reason. So it's great that we now exist in a state where that reform is taking place and we hope to see that rolling out consistently in all states and territories soon. So what's your next legislative campaign going to be? Is it going to be something in Victoria? Is it going to be nationally? Any ideas? So we primarily focus uh, within Victoria. We're Transgender Victoria, but we do collaborate with our interstate partners on broader campaigns. I think a big area of focus right now is making sure our community is supported and represented in the discussion around religious discrimination. We understand where that discussion has come from, but we also recognise that there is an enormous amount of room for new reforms and legislation there to be misused to discriminate against trans and gender diverse people, as well as same-sex attracted people. So it's really crucial that the concerns and needs of the community are being represented and those concerns are heard so that we don't arrive at a point where we're legislating discrimination. Absolutely, and I guess the language coming from the Prime Minister towards the trans community at various times has shown that he's not a friend of the community, and it must put the community under huge distress when he talks about, you know, things like uh, gender whisperers. It's troubling, and it's really difficult, especially for our most vulnerable, to hear that people in power, you know, at best may misunderstand our community, and unfortunately in some cases indicate that they might be antagonistic. So it's really, really important to speak up and make sure that in a position as an organisation that can advocate, we mobilise and we amplify those voices that aren't able to be on the front lines and make sure that everyone knows discrimination is not okay in all its forms. Do you find that when the Prime Minister does make negative comments about the trans community that you can see the impacts on the community's mental health as a result of those comments? I, I think seeing anyone with that kind of platform making you know, derogatory or harmful comments at our community absolutely has an impact. Seeing the dialogues that it's strung up around marriage equality, that 
the amount of scapegoating of our community, even though it wasn't an issue of gender identity, it was an issue of equal marriage, but the amount of vitriol that came out of that had a tremendous impact on the mental health outcomes for our community. Even today, even two years on from you know the passage of the yes vote, we see uh, a continued damage that's been done. I have colleagues that work in the counselling space and sector, and they still see a difference from before the plebiscite and after. So the impact when our public figures are coming out and making misleading or harmful statements about our community really is tremendous. And it's important that, one, they're informed and that they know better, and, two, that if they know better and they're choosing to move forward in that way, that we're speaking out and responding and correcting the record. Yes, of course, today is the anniversary of the postal survey result being announced. How do you look back on that time? Some people say that the campaign from Equality Australia threw trans people under the bus. What are your thoughts on all that? I think it was an incredibly challenging time for our community. And by design, I would say those that were opposed to equality tried to pit us against one another and tried to create division and target some of our most vulnerable. I think they recognise that the argument around should two people that are in love be together wasn't a winning argument when you're trying to oppose something as simple as equality. So they tried to spin and they tried to pivot to targeting a less understood issue and a less understood and represented community. And unfortunately, that meant that trans and gender diverse people were targeted. And I do think there's been a lasting impact. But what I encourage all organisations and all allies to do is recognise that, you know, there was a cost to that win and that really did adversely affect many of our marginalised communities, many of our intersectional communities. So committing to fighting for LGBTI people of colour, trans and gender diverse people and all other groups that took heat for that bigger win that, you know, Marriage equality is great, but it's not the end of the road and there's still a lot of work to do. Of course, you're the new executive director of Transgender Victoria. Tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) So I'm a trans woman of colour who's been working in the advocacy space for, oh goodness, almost a decade. I started as a volunteer as a teenager um, at youth organisations like Y Gender and Minus 18 and did a lot of work there advocating For other young people who are in my position, growing up, I didn't have a lot of role models that I could relate to, that I could engage with. So a really big part of the work I've done and continue to do is trying to carve out that space and trying to make sure that the next young person that goes through the journey I did doesn't feel um, lost and unsupported in the early years, but knows where to go and what to do and has a supportive environment around them. So tell us a bit about your vision for the role. My vision for the role, Um, I'd really like to, I think, grow Transgender Victoria's ability to to inform the public. I joined the organisation a bit over 12 years ago and I saw incredible work being done, as is the case at a lot of non-profits, but not a lot of people knew what was going on. Behind the scenes, there was amazing, amazing work to reform birth certificates, to support our community, to develop resources and training and initiatives. But I think a really big and important part of making that sustainable is making sure people know it's out there. 
making sure people know that there is you know industry leading training if you have an employee come out at work who's transgender or if you have a student come out at school who's transgender and you don't know where to start with supporting them you can access resources you can access training and you can provide that environment and be proactive about creating a space that's inclusive of everyone so i think that's a big part of what i want to continue doing is there's already so much great work within the organization i want to make sure people know about it and make sure we're getting those messages out to the community so we can support them more effectively is the victorian government adequately funding transgender victoria do you need more money from them i think the victorian government has been wonderful in its support of our community um not just transgender victoria but many organizations and support bodies but that said as an organization transgender victoria itself doesn't receive core funding we primarily continue our work through the generosity of our community so that's donors as well as our training program so people who book a training allow us to deliver and create more training so it's a self-sustaining project but the benefit of having um consistent core funding from an outside source would be of great benefit so it sounds like our diversity minister here in Victoria Martin Foley needs to give you guys some core funding in the next state budget uh, I would certainly be grateful, but I also am very thankful to Minister Foley and to the Equality Department for all the amazing work they do for our community. Absolutely. So what's in store for the next uh, part of Trans Awareness Week? It goes until next Wednesday. Uh, what are some of the activities around town you could um, you know, highlight for people that will be coming up? So there's... Um, a Trans Day of Remembrance vigil coming up at the end of the week, the Trans Day of Remembrance that we'll be at. Uh, it's hosted at Yarra Libraries and organised by community advocate Teddy Darling. So it's bringing together organisations from all across the mental health space, the trans and gender diverse space, uh, and creating a hub for people to come in and connect and reflect and find solidarity on what can be a challenging but very important day for our community. Just yesterday, we also were part of an RMIT-hosted uh, discussion with Minus 18 on trans and gender diversity. Uh, that was really exciting to kind of reach a new audience and have some challenging but really rewarding discussions. Uh, and the tdor.org.au website that we've created is designed to be a hub to showcase everything that's going on throughout the week during Trans Week of Awareness and Trans Day of Awareness. Uh, we're constantly adding new information to it and we want to try and gather as many events and organisations from across Australia as we can to highlight and amplify through that platform. So I really encourage everyone to check that out. That's tdor.org.au. Fantastic. Margot Fink, thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR and happy Trans Awareness Week. Thank you very much. Cheers. Margot Fink there, the Executive Director of Transgender Victoria. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Here's Melanie.
Face would like to thank Thornhaber Health for their financial support of this program. Thornhaber Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex, and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornhaber Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.